Hello and welcome to A Fresh Stake, an investment week podcast where we speak to people from all walks of life about how they see the asset management sector. I'm Valeria Martinez, Senior Reporter at Investment Week, and this week I'm delighted to be joined by three guests who will share their thoughts on the world of investment and in particular social mobility and asset management. Um, joining us today is Bailey Wakefield, Portfolio Manager at Aviva Investors, Tara Klee, ESG Analyst at Hargreaves Lansdowne, and Lindsay Stewart, Director of Investment Stewardship Research at Morningstar. I guess we could start with a little bit of an introduction um, just to get to know our guests today. So Bailey, uh, should we start with you? Could you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into the industry? Sure. Thank you for having me on the podcast today. So my background is in some ways very typical to those entering the industry, but in other ways, perhaps not. Growing up, I went to a local state school where I did my GCSEs and A-levels. And then aside from my older sister, I was the first in my family to go to university. I really enjoyed human biology at school. All of my A-levels were in science or maths. So I chose to do a bachelor's degree in biomedical science at St. George's University in London which is a small university that only has courses in the medical field. And at the time, I was thinking that I might become a doctor. And eventually, I realised that that wasn't the right career for me and thought that naturally my other option was research. I worked really hard in my degree, in my dissertation, and that ended up being quite successful. And I managed to get a place to study a master's degree in genomic medicine at Cambridge. And while I was there, it was the first time that I was really able to explore what other careers were available to me outside of science. And luckily, I found the Finance Investment Society who were looking for analysts for their small fund. So I took on the role as a healthcare analyst and realised that I was actually enjoying that more than my master's. After that, I decided to start applying to some graduate schemes in the industry, which was pretty tough without having what's considered to be the appropriate background by most companies. I think Aviva Investors was one of the only companies at the time I spoke to that wasn't looking for an investment background. You were assessed more on your diverse thought processes and team skills. I managed to secure the graduate role at Aviva and When I was asked where I wanted to work, I said multi-asset, mainly because I didn't know enough about asset classes to make a decision. And I thought that would give me more broad exposure to everything. Luckily enough, I was placed into a great team with a brilliant manager. And four years later, I'm one of our portfolio managers in multi-asset. So definitely not a direct path, but shows that you don't have to take what's considered the the typical route. Thank you so much, Bailey. Um, Lindsay, what about you? Thanks. Uh, happy to be, to be joining. So um, uh, my roots into uh, into my current role, I'm currently in investment uh, stewardship research. Um, that's taken over 20 years for me to kind of get around and a bit like Bailey. I've taken a very circuitous route uh, to where I am now. So um, I'm a bit of a rarity in that I didn't actually go to university after finishing school. I, I went straight into the city um, in investor relations. Uh, and that was that was pretty random in itself because you know I'd written up a, a CV. I decided um, not to go to to university. It was like one of the earliest um, cohorts where you had to pay for student loans. And I'm from a modest socioeconomic background. I was very debt averse and decided I wanted to go and get a job where I could um, do my training on the job and um, come up that way. So so that was what I did. I took my CV to a random um, recruiter in the city uh, back in 2000 and they managed to find me a job with 
um, a, an investor relation consultancy called um, called Makings and Cal, where I spent spent many years. I studied management accounting, um, also studied the the CFA exams as well, um, while advising companies on who their shareholders were and what they thought of management of strategy of performance and valuation and so i'd gathered all those skills and you know within a decade and a half i was a, a qualified management accountant and a cfa charter holder and um after that with the the firm i worked for makings and cal was acquired by by kpmg and so i did some work there on the technical accounting side and that was kind of bringing the investor relations perspective that I uh, that I had acquired, um, applying that to a bit of a different area because there were major new standards that needed that kind of thinking injected into it. Not just you know the companies that prepare accounts, but also how would it be uh, received by by the investors that have to make decisions based on it. So I did that for about five years, then returned to investor engagement for both KPMG and the financial. Financial Reporting Council, a UK regulator for a while. And then at the beginning of this year, I joined Morningstar, taking all of that knowledge and then applying it to the other side of the conversation in investment stewardship. So looking at the ways that uh, asset managers engage with companies on various ESG issues. Uh, so that's how I've got here. Thank you so much, Lindsay. And finally, Tara. Thank you for having me on the podcast, Valeria. Um, so for me, after leaving school, um, I studied human geography at Cardiff University. I took modules in economics, social justice, and also the developing world, which really sparked an interest in utilising finance to make a positive impact in the world. So I knew not coming from an economics background, having studied geography, it would generally make it harder to get into the industry. So I look for an, an entry-level position as a support role with the plan to skill up and work my way into the right department. So I joined Hargreaves Lansdowne after graduating on their help desk, so essentially helping clients over the phone with their investments. And during this time, I took the IMC exams to get my investment knowledge up to scratch. And then I joined the HR Rotational Graduate Scheme. So this really allowed me to develop a broad set of skills um, and a strong understanding of the asset management industry and also supported me in um, obtaining the diploma in regulated financial advice. So ultimately, this enabled me to land a job in the ESG team at HL, which is where I work now. So I'd say for me, the key was really getting a foot in the door at an entry level position and then proactively taking exams to develop the knowledge necessary to land a job in investment. Thank you so much. Well, let's get just straight into it. So um, our industry, the asset management industry, has become much better over recent years at acting on initiatives that promote gender, LGBT plus and racial diversity. However, this proportionate number of senior roles in our industry are occupied by those from wealthy backgrounds. Um, so do you do you think that the industry has done enough to encourage social mobility? And um, would anyone like to start with this question? Or else we could start by um, Lindsay. Sure. So, I think there's, I think there's a bit of a road to go in terms of encouraging social mobility in the the asset management industry. Um, there's definitely been some steps taken. We've definitely seen an acceleration on that. Uh, following things like the Me Too movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, there's been a real focus on uh, how to get diversity, equity and inclusion right within financial services and within the asset management industry as a whole. Um, so I think there's been progress, but there's definitely um, some more that can be done. Uh, I worked with a think tank called Reboot over the uh, last couple of years, and they've got some very um, interesting stats. They um, 
they issued a financial services index for inclusion, I think at the end of last year, where they noted that uh, UK financial services companies only scored 65 out of a possible 100 on, on that index score, indicating that there's quite a way to go. Also last month, as, as part of uh, our research program, we had a specific look into the experiences of black employees. Um, and while there has been a rise in leadership support for DNI values at, at many firms, uh, I often say that you know it's it's the bit in the middle, the middle management layer, where the rubber really hits the road, and we're we're not really seeing the kind of progress in uh, in uh, attitudes towards uh, inclusion and the experiences that people are having within that that middle layer. Uh, we noted that the vast majority of, in particular, black employees have experienced discrimination in their workplace in the past. 12 months um, and that's an increase from 71% last year so so not everything is going right in that area there are definitely some um, some things that do need a bit more focus I mean, I'm sure the other guests have have things to relate on that as well yeah Bailey or Tara would you like to add anything to what Lindsay said yeah no I completely agree and I don't think that question necessarily has a straightforward answer it's really clear that there's more to do uh, because we know that social mobility is less prominent than gender and ethnicity on a relative basis so far. But recent years have shown that the industry is taking it a bit more seriously now. So speaking to my colleagues, it sounds like around 10 years ago, social mobility was quite quirky. A few years ago, it was starting to get interesting. And now it is seen as absolutely vital that companies focus on it to diversify their talent and thought processes and be more reflective of society. A momentum is really building across the industry now, and we have come a long way from where we were 10 years ago. But the main hurdle that we have at the moment is data because we don't have enough of it in social mobility. But the industry has and is working hard to address that data issue. And early careers programs like graduate schemes and internship programs are starting to have much more diverse intakes. But once we resolve that data collection issue, we'll be able to focus more on progression and opportunities in, in later careers. Thank you yeah. so much, Bailey. I completely agree with what Bailey said there. From a HL perspective, for the first time this year, we've surveyed the organisation to collect information and insight on socioeconomic backgrounds and how that impacts people's experiences and also their progression at work. And it's, it's something that we're in the process of analysing now. Um, and, and generally, I think it's starting to take, a, take place more that they focus on social mobility. Um, we've got the government's socioeconomic diversity task force, which is aimed at increasing socioeconomic diversity in finance. Um, and it's generally helping to, to build that momentum. Um, one of our directors, David James, is part of that task force. So it is great to see HL helping to drive that change. And hopefully we will be able to make more of an impact. Okay, and how do you think that coming from an underprivileged or lower socioeconomic background affect your chances of landing a role um, in finance and particularly in the financial services and asset management industry? Uh, for me, although I definitely don't feel like I tick all of the social mobility boxes, this is something that I can relate to because I just didn't know that investment management was a viable career option for me while I was at school. My school did have an option to do economics at A-level, but quite honestly, at the time, I didn't know anything about it. So I didn't consider it to ever be an option for me. At the time, I, I probably understood that studying economics could help me get an, an office job in London, and that was about it. 
typically at, at state schools you don't have people explaining what asset management is and at school I didn't know anyone in the industry and to be fair as well when you do a google images search of portfolio manager or investor you mainly see pictures of middle-aged well-groomed men in suits looking at charts and that hasn't ever been something I feel like I can relate to well aside from the fact that uh, I now look at charts every now and again but that polished persona and that image is just extremely discouraging it's really hard to be what you cannot see so that's going to discourage people from joining the industry thanks bailey lindsay or tara do you have any any other thoughts to add to what bailey just said do you relate to anything of that she said yeah, I think Bailey uh, hit the nail on the head there. It's it's uh, very hard to aim for something that you don't know is there, right? Uh, and I think it was some research by KPMG in 2019 that I, I spoke about as part of the work I do on this. Um, it was around two in five um, financial services employees had parents who also worked in the same sector, and that says against about one in eight in other sectors. So it really does illustrate the kind of influence that it has if you have those connections and ties already in the industry it really does help uh help you kind of absorb into the culture understand what kind of roles there are out there understand what to aim for it's a bit like learning another language some things are just easier to pick up when you're young and so if you've got the family and friends in the network in the sector it can help you get to grips with that and so if you're coming from a background that has no exposure to any of that it's very difficult to know what you're aiming at and how to how to build a career in that industry. So it, it is really um, starting from uh, from behind the, the start line in, in a way, and it really does emphasize the need for, for strong mentors and, and programs to, to kind of widen the base from which from which the industry is recruiting. Okay, fantastic. We'll we'll get to um, what sort of initiatives the industry can take to to sort of help broaden the the access to the industry. Um, but I wanted to touch on um, you know what the benefits of having people from um, lower socioeconomic backgrounds can have on 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 investment managers and investment decisions in general. Um, but what you guys were sort of talking about right now by failing to address socioeconomic diversity and social mobility, the industry is risking missing out on the valuable perspectives and potential of, of a vast section, section of, of the population um, that it seeks to serve. So um, how do you think that having a more diverse um, and inclusive uh, recruitment po policies can help um, an asset management firm when it comes to diversity of thought and and you know um in the end investment outcomes would anyone like to start tara do you have any thoughts on that yeah in terms of the kind of recruitment process i think it's really important that you work hard to remove as much bias as possible from the process um to give yourself the best chance of attracting a broad pool of talent um I mean, at HR, we're planning to do more with our hiring managers to ensure that they understand how to hire the most in, in the most inclusive way. Um, and just really making sure that you have that diverse slate of candidates to choose from in the first place. Bailey or Lindsay, any, any additional thoughts on that? I think that's really important. And I think learning and talking about what a diverse team actually is is really important too so I think we're all well aware that a well-rounded investment team has diversity in terms of experience specialities technical skills but 
that also needs to be balanced with a diverse range of personal characteristics and behaviours. And that's what can also help lead to better investment outcomes. Often that second part gets overlooked and there's more focus on technical skills. But people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds have characteristics that are very valuable because of their different experiences. And that comes from those different backgrounds that not everyone has been exposed to. Yeah, completely agree with uh, what Bailey and Tara have said. It's um, it's really important to kind of go beyond that sort of surface level diversity aspect and think about the cognitive and experiential differences that you're bringing into those teams, into your organisation, because there may be some areas in some perhaps technical areas in which you might have to do some training, but the people you're bringing in from those diverse backgrounds are going to have skills that are not necessarily common within your organisation. And so your organisation is an, as a result of that, will have fewer blind spots in those various areas and that can definitely help things from how the organization is run to how portfolios are run uh, it's definitely important uh, one thing i will also say there is a lot of focus on recruitment but you also have to retain the people you've brought in otherwise you end up with a generation of diverse talent whose uh whose story that they tell to the world is that it didn't work for them in finance and suddenly you're back with the same problem where people are just not applying to these roles as well so retention is also massively important yeah, good point, Lindsay. Thank you. Um, just um, one of the last questions uh, for the podcast um, is touching on um, ESG and sustainability. I wanted to ask you um, how can having a diverse team and especially a team that comes from maybe less a less privileged background um, help um, sort of bring insights to the ESG and responsible investment space and inform where, you know, ESG goes into the future. Um, Tara, given you're um, an ESG analyst, wanted to start with you. Yeah, of course. I think it's really important to have so many people's opinions and diverse thoughts around ESG as it is still such a growth area and it is still, it's not black and white, it is always growing and it is subjective in some, in some cases. Um, and it's definitely more powerful the more people we have contributing to ESG assessment and integration. Um, we want to move away from the traditional kind of old white men asset management industry and bringing more thought um, is, is only going to be a positive thing. Thanks, Tara. Lindsay, anything to add to that? Yeah, absolutely. I think with the the sort of the global and often very ethical and philosophical nature of some of the things that we have to discuss in ESG, it is absolutely vital to have that that broad global perspective. I mean, we've got COP27 right now. There's a lot of talk about, you know, what happens to these small island nations when climate change hits? Well, I've got family in those small island nations. So, I, you know, I've got a very different perspective to a lot of people in the, on, on those issues. And the things that are covered, things like climate transition, biodiversity, rights of indigenous people, human rights, labor rights, these are all things that can benefit from having a very, very wide range of experiences and opinions uh, feeding into the decision making. So yeah, definitely, definitely a huge advantage. Thank you so much. Um, just to sort of finish off um, and touching on things that uh, you have mentioned, um, which do you think could be ways that um, investment firms can encourage social mobility at a, at a graduate level? Um, again, Lindsay, you mentioned obviously retaining talent is also really important, but how can the industry break down those socioeconomic barriers um, to a career in investment management? Would anyone like to start on this one? Yeah, I'm Bailey, happy to jump in. 
I think we just need to work harder to raise the profile of the industry from grassroots up and show people and, and children from all backgrounds that there is a pathway into investment. And then by improving that perception of the industry, hopefully more people will feel that it's for them um, and encourage more people to apply for the jobs. And, and there are loads of amazing initiatives um, and internships and, and kind of routes for people from underprivileged backgrounds to find a way into the industry so that, that we also then need to address the challenge of um, overcoming preconceptions and biases so that everyone is judged equally. Um, I mean, there was a study that was released um, or, or covered by the BBC recently stating that one in four UK workers have had their accents mocked at work recently and are saying that there, there's an entrenched hierarchy of accent and that's caused uh, social anxiety throughout some people's lives and it's generated a lot of discussion around how biases and stereotypes can be used to judge independent skills and abilities so and, and that can lead in itself to discriminatory behaviour so as well as kind of working at making um, the opportunities available and aware we then need to address those kind of biases and preconceptions within the industry itself. Right. Thanks, Tara. I think that Tara's hit the nail on the head there, to be honest. I think that communication, firstly, is, is a big factor here so that students actually know that the industry exists and that they can be a part of it. And that dialogue needs to happen at an earlier age so that we can start to educate, but also inspire young people. And whether you're from a more disadvantaged background or not, I think it's all of our responsibilities now that we're in, in the industry to not close that gate behind us. We need to go to schools and of course still universities to, to talk about asset management more. There are lots more discussions at that level about law. I know for a fact there were more discussions about medicine and I think even investment banking can sometimes be introduced, but not often asset management. And as an industry, we also need to work with candidates to help build their skills and their soft skills and support them through the application processes, which will really help to boost confidence considering it's unlikely that they'll be getting industry specific help at home or at school. And once they arrive in the industry, we need to make sure that that support continues and that support needs to be tailored in recognition of the challenges specific to those from a lower socioeconomic background. Thank you, yeah, Bailey. I uh, agree with, with Bailey 100%. Um, skills are, are massively important. I've done quite a lot of work with CFA UK and the skills workshop on making sure that those skills are accessible. We've had loads of firms have, have fed into that, uh, ensuring that everybody knows that what's out there in finance can actually be taught and learned and that it's available for, for them to, to use, but also the importance of, of role models and, and mentors in the industry uh, for, from diverse backgrounds is is uh, hugely important. I've done a lot of work with with Reboot, the think tank I mentioned earlier on that. But I think it's also incumbent on people who who do reach senior positions. I, I guess I include myself in that. Is to make sure you are actually visible to people because there is there is a, t a temptation to kind of you know just plug on, get on with your job. Um, but you know people are actually looking for um, for people they can model themselves on in their career. So so that's a bit of an obligation once you've kind of made it. Hey, fantastic. Well, I guess we can we can finish there. Thank you all so much for sharing your thoughts and, and insights. Um, and thank you for coming into the podcast. It has been a pleasure. Um, thank you all so much. Bye.